everyone, and welcome to episode 73 of Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome all you new listeners out there. My guest today has spent her life immersed in art. While living in New York City, she has worked as an interior designer, writer, dancer, performance artist, and rock musician. In 1999, she and her husband, Alberto Paz, moved to New Orleans, where she helped establish the Argentine tango scene there. In 2002, they created the New Orleans Tango Festival. In 2009, they won the third annual USA Salon Style Tango Championship. They also co-authored the book Gotta Tango, and both have been influential in the development of Salon Tango in the U.S., Sadly, Alberto passed away in 2014, but she continues contributing to the tango community in New Orleans, hosting classes and milongas, as well as supporting other local tango events. And with me now is Valerie Hart. Valerie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's great to be talking to you. Well, thanks for asking me, Joe, and I apologize to you and the listeners for sounding a little funky. I've been (laughs) sick for the last three weeks with a wicked cold and you know, I'll do my best. So, Valerie, could you take us back in time a little bit? So, how did you fall in love with tango? For me, the first thing was the music. Mm-hmm. I was in a rock band for a number of years, and I collected world music. So, I had some Argentine tango in my collection. Mm. So, that was my first love for the music. Oh, nice. And how did you get into the dancing portion of it? Well, the dance was kind of a funny thing. I used to hang out with a group of South Americans, and we traveled in a pack, socialized in a pack. Mm -hmm. We'd go salsa dancing, or we'd go to a gallery opening. And I had a nice apartment, and usually after whatever we were doing that night, we'd end up at my apartment, and I'd cook pasta, and we'd Mm -hmm. hang out until the wee hours talking. So one day, the Argentine in the group, looks through my music, looking to put a CD on. You can (laughs) tell how long ago that was. Mm -hmm. And he found some tango music, and he was so excited. And he said, oh, my goodness, you have tango music, and we have to teach you how to dance. Because (laughs) when we go to the black tie party and they find out that we're from South America or or that we're Argentino, they want us to dance. And would you like to learn to dance the Argentine tango? And I said, sure. So Mm they pushed my dining room table out of the way, and and I had been a dancer. I was trained as a dancer, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, how hard could this be? And so <laughs> this man, he makes a big show of embracing me, and he bursts out laughing because he didn't know how to dance oh. either. He came from a, a particular generation mm-hmm. of porteños that had skipped learning to dance tango. They gravitated towards tropical and rock and roll, as they called it, Mm -hmm. because it was easier to learn and easier to get girls. Um, (laughs) Learning the tango and having to deal with the codes of the milonga was too old-fashioned for them and too difficult. Mm. So that was the first like little glimmer. And he said, listen, I'm going to Buenos Aires for three weeks to see my mom and my grandmother. And while I'm in Buenos Aires, I'll take a few classes. And, while, and I was living in New York at the time. Mm-hmm. While here in New York, you sign up and take classes for three weeks and make sure you ask for Argentine tango, not American tango. Right. And when I get back, we'll go out dancing, darling. And I said, <laughs> okay, fine. Mm-hmm. So time went by and I was very busy. I was a businesswoman then. I had my own event design business. Mm-hmm. And I had signed up for like a $99 ballroom special 
where you could take on limited classes and any dance that you wanted. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to take all the tango, Argentine tango classes that they had. Mm -hmm. But I didn't take one. And it was getting to be three minutes to the time that the three weeks were going to be up. And I was panicking. Mm. So this will take me to my first ever tango lesson. I signed up for a couple of private lessons. And again, I thought, how hard could it be? Mm -hmm. I'll just take a couple of privates and I'll be able to dance. <laughs> yeah. So, how did the very first official tango lesson for you go? Well, it was kind of a disaster. First mm. of all, I had this arrogance because, again, I'm a businesswoman and time is money. Mm-hmm. And I was a trained dancer. I had been trained in ballet. I had done some, you know, Broadway style dancing when I was young. And you know, I was like, okay, you know, how hard could this be? I was a good, good street dancer. You know, I could go out Latin dancing and, you know, follow anybody. I was like, okay, this is going to be a piece of cake. Mm-hmm. So I had this ridiculous dress on that came below my knees. I worked very tight around my knees in these ridiculous shoes and mm-hmm. um, a couple of wristful of jangly bracelets. And I kind of <laughs> like minced in there like a little geisha girl and was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm ready for my lesson. And the uh, instructor said to me, well, are you going to change? And I said, no, let's go. Time is money. I got, let's, let's do this, you know? So, you know, he's like explaining this whole thing about, you know, how, you know, the woman has got to, you know, just take the man's lead and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Just give me the combination, you know, like five, six, seven, eight, Mm -hmm. give me the combination. And he started to laugh and he says, no, there's no combination just a whole different thing, and blah, blah, blah. And it was a disaster because I, I was, like, immovable. Mm. It couldn't move me. And I was like, oh, my goodness gracious, what is this weird dance? I had never been a ballroom dancer. <laughs> I had never learned, you know, social dancing, like, in this kind of context. So I excused myself to go to the ladies' room because mm-hmm. I was having a little bit of a meltdown thinking, oh my goodness, this thing is really kicking my butt. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. So I get to the where the restrooms are, and there are two signs on the doors, one on each door said, one said leaders and one said followers. And I went in the leaders' door because <laughs> I didn't even understand that terminology. <laughs> and to my mind, I'm a leader in life, not yeah. a follower. You mm-hmm. know? Anyway, that was my first lesson. But it kind of piqued my interest mm. and because it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. And my friend came back from Buenos Aires and I said to him, well, did you learn to dance tango? And he said, no, did you? And I said, no. But I had all these group classes, you know, that I had paid for. So I decided just to go to the group classes. But he being Argentino, mm-hmm. he had a different kind of arrogance and he was, was not going to go to a group class taught by thinking American. So he got videos and he would learn in his apartment, you know, and try to learn like in the closet so that he could come out and already know how to dance. Oh. It was hysterical. Of course he wouldn't dance with me mm. because I didn't know anything. He only would dance with the teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was hysterical. Yeah, so, so that funny. was my, my beginning journey. And, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, because normally, you know, arrogance and Argentine tango don't normally mix, but you came around somehow, and this became a big passion in your life. So can you describe sort of the turning point when, when tango started grabbing a hold of you? Well, you know, the tango finds you at a crossroads mm-hmm. in life, often. I find this from talking to other people. 
and I had some sad moments going on. Mm-hmm. My mom died, my cat died, oh. my husband left me because I was a workaholic in my mm-hmm. business, and you know my business was suffering a little because I had a health scare. So it's like all the walls were kind of crumbling down on me, mm-hmm. and I found like going to these milongas, which I thought were ridiculous because here I am, this high powered event planner and you mm-hmm. go to these tacky little milongas in a dance studio with plastic tablecloths and red punch and mm-hmm. stale chips and I was like what is this you know <laughs> but I would go and I would bring a bottle of wine and my own glass and a linen napkin and I would sit at a table and drink and listen to the music mm-hmm. and watch the dancers and somehow it was very consoling to me like mm-hmm. the nostalgia of it and there were two couples that I particularly loved, and they were older couple. Mm-hmm. They were the age that I am now, and they were from Buenos Aires, you know, resettled in New York. And I just loved the way they danced. The men always wore a jacket, and the women had beautiful dresses on, and they were very sensual and connected and embraced so beautifully. And I was fascinated at their communication, and they had been married, you know, probably 30, 40 years, Mm -hmm. and I just looked at them, and it gave me, like, hope for the future, that there was something that I could grow older with, that Mm -hmm. this dance form was so appropriate for young people, but it was more beautiful on older dancers, and so that was my first in, you know, Milongas that I went to, and I did not dance. I mean, guys asked me to dance because mm-hmm. guys will always ask a woman to dance. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> because I was terrified. And I really couldn't, like, twig on. It was took me a long time to surrender to receiving the man's mark and responding and finding my balance. And, and, and you know, we all make the same mistakes or have the same issues in the beginning and it's this this mysterious thing and Mm -hmm. you know the woman doesn't want to make a mistake and the man doesn't want to make a mistake and everybody's so uptight I was just so uptight I didn't want to dance but I wanted to be there in the milieu of the tango and Mm -hmm. absorb as much as I could yeah wow so eventually you did dance at a malanga do you remember your very first first one well I did dance, but I really didn't dance. Like the very first time a guy took me in his arms, he held me so tight, and I gasped. And I oh. said, I can't breathe. <laughs> like, no. mm-hmm. You're holding me too tight. And mm-hmm. I sat down. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't really count. But I went to this thing, and I had a few experiences like in class, you know, mm-hmm. of, you know, changing partners. Everything was a disaster. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty discouraged, but I kept going back. And then I went to this thing called Stanford Tango Week in Mm. 1995. Mm -hmm. And I knew the teachers there because my teachers then, I was going to taking classes with Daniel Trenner and Rebecca Mm. Shulman in New York. Mm -hmm. And I also knew Danella Maria from New York. And they were on the roster Mm -hmm. of teaching at Stanford. And I knew the orchestra. It was Pablo Aslan and Raul Guarena. And I think... um, Ethan was the piano player then. So those were the only people I knew, and a couple of dancers from New York. And I had a couple of friends in San Francisco who treated me for my birthday to um, Forever Tango, which was playing in San Francisco. And all I had eyes for were the shoes and the dresses. (laughs) I mean, I didn't know what the heck I was looking at. You know, and the music was glorious because I was familiar with 
you know, the, the music. Mm -hmm. And then these guys also bought me this beautiful vintage dress to wear to this very first milonga that, that was a tango ball. The, the tango ball was a big deal back then. Mm -hmm. And so I really kind of wandered around like a little wallflower and talked to, you know, the teachers that I knew and talked to the band and you know, really, nobody wanted to dance with me. Nobody knew me. And mm -hmm. there had already been one week of Stanford that had transpired. So that group was really cemented as a, as a, as a community, as a mm -hmm. group. And then all the new newbies that were coming in, which I was part of the second week, were there. And I, I think I danced one or two with somebody from Brooklyn who took pity on me, but it was still pretty <laughs> awkward. Uh. And about... 11 o'clock at night, this entourage walked in, mm. and it was like the most glamorous group of people, and everybody was like buzzing, and they were like stars, and I realized that it was a cast from Forever Tango coming to New Longa. Wow. Oh, they still had their stage makeup on, and it was like, and I'm standing there with this woman from, from New York. And I said to her, oh, my goodness, look at these people. And we're like, ooh, 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 You know, it was like so glam and so enticing and so intoxicating. So then they're all settling in to their table. And then behind them, after they all walk in, this man walks in. And he had such presence and this long hair and mm -hmm. this posture and this swagger. And we were like, who is this guy, you know? And all the people from Forever Tango got up and they were like, all greeting him and kissing him and like practically kissing him his ring and I was like oh my god he looks like he's the godfather of the tango <laughs> you know and, and so we didn't know who he was and so I said well let's watch him and see if he dances with anybody and of mm -hmm. course he did and my girlfriend turned to me she goes Argentino and I said yeah man he's something else mm -hmm. okay so fast forward next day we go to Stanford and um, they have the opening milonga and again I'm standing in the doorway to the room of the Milonga, quite timid about not, neither going in or leaving. Because again, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know how to dance. And this voice says to me, are you going in? Or are you coming out? And I look up, and it was the godfather. <laughs> I was like a little flustered. And I said, well, I guess I'm going in. Mm -hmm. And so I walked in, and... I sat down, and he came over to me. He goes, well, uh, would you like to dance? I said, oh, no. Oh, no, I can't possibly dance. He says, what do you mean you can't possibly dance? I said, oh, I'm terrible. I'm just a baby, and I'm terrible, and you don't want to dance with me because, you know, you know how to dance, and I'm just a disaster. And he says, well, your first, uh, my first suggestion is you shouldn't refuse a dance. If, unless you find me completely hideous. And then the second <laughs> is never apologize for the way you dance. Just mm -hmm. accept it. So I got up and I danced. And I think, I don't know, it was like a blur. And I was like just shaking. Mm -hmm. And I think we got around the floor. I don't even think I finished the tanda. And I ran out the room. Wow. And I left. And that was, that was my, I consider that my first real dance that <laughs> me longer. Wow. It was a blur. Wow. Yeah. And what happened after that? Well, this man was attending Stanford Tango Week, mm -hmm. and I met him again in class. And, 
he was quite the commodity because he was a single man Argentine mm -hmm. taking these classes, and the girls all liked him and buzzed around. And he kind of adopted three of us. We stayed in the dorms then, and that was another reason I wanted to go to Stanford because I went to art school and I never stayed in a dorm. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be kind of a kick to be a co-ed, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a girl from Seattle and my friend from New York and me, and this guy kind of befriended us. And mm -hmm. after the milongas at night, we would all go to Denny's and have a milkshake and kind of just, you know, like dish the dirt, you know, about mm -hmm. who's who and what's what and what the classes were like. So he'd be in class. So um, he was enamored with the girl from Seattle, and she was really attractive and a good dancer, and she mm -hmm. had a long line of men like chasing after her. Mm -hmm. Well, I had booked a private class. I didn't have much money, and I booked a private class because I was loyal to my hometown teachers. Mm -hmm. Now, this was the year of Milongero, and okay. of the Milongero. So there was Eduardo Ancarambao was there, Lampazo was there, mm -hmm. Graciela Gonzalez was mm -hmm. there. And Daniela Maria were there, mm -hmm. Rebecca and Daniel were there, and, and a couple named Michael and Loren were there. And so I could have booked my one private class with anybody, but do I take a teacher from Argentina? No. I booked with Daniel and Rebecca because mm -hmm. I figured, well, they're my hometown and they're the young kids and I want to support the young kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'd bring them lasagna and flowers when I was back in New York and you know, la, la, la. <laughs> so the only slot that was open was 9 a.m. And I learned a couple of valuable lessons. Never book a private lesson with the Argentine tango teacher in the morning. <laughs> the night people. Mm -hmm. And Danielle and Rebecca were having some difficulties there. They were kind of like tense with one another. Mm. So he came into the class. And this was like Wednesday. I had been there now Sunday. Now it's Wednesday. And I was a proud of myself because I thought I was like making progress that and I was so excited to show him mm -hmm. you know that I was making progress well, he came in like Mr. Grumpy and oh nothing I could do was acceptable mm -hmm. and he was really hard on me and I used to wear white then all white because I had to be contrary because black was the tango color so yeah. I did the opposite I dressed in all white mm -hmm. so here I am in little white practice clothes and Daniel came from a background of contact improvisation. Mm -hmm. So he wanted me to get on the floor and roll around with him to, like, kind of free myself up. I was like, are you crazy? First of all, I'm in <laughs> my voice. I'm wearing white. Mm -hmm. No. And, oh, he just wagged on me and ragged on me. And so finally I paid the fucking, oh, excuse me, you'll probably have to. That's okay. I paid the money for mm -hmm. the, the private class to him. And like a little high school girl, I ran into the ladies' room and sat in a stall and cried my eyes out. Mm. I was so discouraged and humiliated, and that was it. And I had this talk with myself, you know, get a grip. Mm -hmm. This is ridiculous. What do you think you're doing? You need to get back to New York and take care of your business and forget this tango. You, you, you're going to go. I'm going to change my airline ticket right now, and I'm going back to New York. Mm. So I went back into the class that was starting, and to add insult to injury, oh, I forgot one other Milongero. It was Juan Bruno mm -hmm. because Daniel was translating for Juan Bruno. So I had to go and see him up there. And I was like, oh, I can't take this. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to tell my two dorm mates and this man who had befriended us. And I wanted to let them know that I was leaving, that I was going back to the dorm and I was changing my ticket and I was going back. Mm -hmm. And that was it. I wanted to say goodbye. I didn't want to just disappear. But the class had started, so I had to sit down on the floor and listen to, you know, the blah, blah, blah. And it was like 
some kind of turn, you know, some kind of hero, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like, I will never do this, you know. <laughs> so I'm sitting on the floor and I can't move. I'm like paralyzed and I got my head down. I mean, I was really a pathetic, dejected mess. <laughs> so everybody's getting up, you know, they clap the hands, everybody find a partner, mm-hmm. uh, you know, start working. And so I'm just sitting there and I, I can't move. I, I don't know how I'm going to get the courage to get up and walk out of the room. So this hand appears under my face and beckons me to come on. And I'm like shaking my head, no. Hand beckons me again. Shake my head, no. (laughs) Third time, he says to me, and it's this man who had befriended us, Mm -hmm. what's wrong with you? And so I said, and I have like tears in my eyes. And I said, well, I'm leaving. He says, what do you mean you're leaving? You don't feel well? I said, no, I'm going back to New York. And he says, why? And I said, because I'm terrible and I'm never going to learn this. And, ah, and I was like, just going on like a big baby. And so he helps me to my feet. He says, come on, let's practice this. We can do this. You can do this. I said, no, I'll never learn this. It's too difficult. And I'll tell you what, if you can make me do this, I'll take a shower with you. Like, okay, let's get to it. Right? Well, that man was Alberto Paz. Yeah. And um, that was the turning point for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he kept me there. He got me laughing. We did the figure. Mm-hmm. And he brought me back from the brink. And that was like the turning point for wow. me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, I'm so bummed I never got a chance to meet him. Yeah. I'm so I'm so sorry that you never got a chance to meet him mm-hmm. either. You heard so many wonderful things about him. But, Valerie, can you tell me the story of how you brought tango to New Orleans with well, Alberto? Well, you know, Alberto and I got together mm-hmm. in 95, and I, we married shortly after. I lived in New York still, and so I left New York to be with him in the Bay Area of San Francisco. Mm. And he already was teaching and had established milongas. And he was publishing this magazine about tango called El Firo that day. Mm-hmm. And we kind of combined forces. His, he was an engineer by trade, and mm. his project had come to an end. I gave up my business in New York, and we combined whatever little money we had. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy there. And I said, you know, I feel like I'm on planet tango when I'm here. <laughs> and that became the name of our business. Yeah. And he got me teaching with him. Fairly early, I really didn't feel qualified, but I was kind of like the lovely assistant, mm-hmm. and he kind of like jollied me along. And it was the infancy of the internet, and Alberto was very, very smart and very savvy. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, um, you know, locally we had our little local group of students in Milonga money and whatnot and videotapes and CDs and did all kinds of things to make ends meet, sold shoes, everything that people in the business of tango have to do to, to make ends meet. Right. And he got on this idea of traveling to teach. So he started booking us like all over the country and consequently all over the world. And we were traveling to teach, but we were out probably most of the month to pay the mortgage in San Francisco, and it was very expensive to live in San Francisco. And Mm -hmm. it was, and Alberto would have moved to New York, but it would have been equally expensive. So we started to to interview cities, so to speak, as we traveled (laughs) around Mm -hmm. to see where we could relocate that would be centrally located and less expensive to live in. 
Mm-hmm. And in 1999, through some of that internet outreach that he did, he found someone in New Orleans, and this woman connected us and co-produced our first workshops in New Orleans in 1999 with the Casa Argentina. Nice. And Alberto said to me one day, how would you like to go to New Orleans to teach? And I said, oh my goodness, it's one of the cities I've always wanted to visit because mm-hmm. of the architecture and the food and and Alberto loved traditional jazz. He knew more about trad jazz than any American. And he was anxious to go to the birthplace of Louis mm-hmm. Armstrong. So he booked it, and we came in 1999, and our workshop was a big success. Nice. Tango, there was like a smattering of Argentine tango happening in New Orleans. Um, nothing much of note. A couple mm-hmm. of dancers had traveled to workshops mm-hmm. outside of um, New Orleans, uh, they were mainly ballroom dancers that were like curious, mm-hmm. and there was a ballroom dancer who had started like a what she called milonga in a little club mm-hmm. um, once a week. So there was like it was like the beginnings, but there was nothing really that had taken hold. So we decided to move to New Orleans in 2000. We sold the house in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It was the height or the beginning of the height of that big real estate bubble where Alberto's, right. you know, broken down ranch house in Sunnyvale sold for a nice profit mm-hmm. where we could pay off the mortgages and have a little nest egg to move with. Mm-hmm. And we really didn't move to New Orleans to start a community or to even teach. We moved there because of we loved the city when we were there in 99. We felt it was a good fit yeah. for aging bohemians. <laughs> and I did not like California at all, being mm-hmm. such a such a New Yorker, but I did like no winter. So New Orleans was perfect because I said, if Mm -hmm. palm trees can survive winter, then I can survive winter here. Mm -hmm. And we just were enamored with New Orleans as everyone is who who comes to this city. So we started to go to the little um, Milonga and there was a couple that um, hosted us in 99 in a dance studio that they did classes in. And so there was a couple little things going on, but we didn't start classes. We went out to dance at the little dance studio that these people had. They did a little practica and then to this little thing that this ballroom teacher had on Tuesday nights Mm -hmm. at this club called Chat Noir that was very charming. Mm -hmm. And we just danced and people liked what they saw. and, And finally someone said, why aren't you teaching classes here? Aren't we good enough for you? And Alberto and I said, wow, well, we picked New Orleans just to live and as a central location to travel to teach because that's where our income came from, Mm -hmm. from traveling to teach. And so we really didn't come to set up shopping in New Orleans. In fact, the young woman who had that little venue on Tuesday nights, the ballroom teacher wrote us a long email when she heard we were moving to New Orleans, discouraging us from coming to the city because it was so corrupt and crime-ridden, and why did we want to move there? Right. <laughs> we wanted us to move there, and we just laughed and, mm. you know, said, well, we're moving here because we like it. Yeah. So, um, eventually, we had our first milonga and a class, like some workshops for the locals, and we rented this ballroom in the Bourbon Orleans Hotel, and I was fascinated because they had allegedly, we find out that there's a lot of myths here, urban mm-hmm. legends here. The oldest ballroom in, in New Orleans 
where the old quadroon balls used to happen. And I was just fascinated with the mm. history of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. So we made this very lavish kind of affair where people came for workshops during the day and then we had beautiful catered Nivanga at night. Well, people kind of liked us and we just found place in the quarter where we did classes in the Milonga and we just took it from there and and um, it, we were quite successful mm -hmm. and uh, brought band orchestras from Argentina, had a performance group, had classes. It, it was quite nice. We found a place. Well, ev everything was was happening mm -hmm. and we found a really beautiful place where we had milongas every week and had a ball and we lived there we mm -hmm. called it the house of tango had milonga every week taught classes three or four times a week everything was going good mm -hmm. and then this little thing called katrina happened right. yeah. and it changed everything mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now you were were you out of town at the time when katrina hit yeah we were we um we, we were writing a book. We mm -hmm. were writing our book, Got a Tango. Right. And we had scheduled, there was going to be a DVD, a companion DVD, and we had scheduled for it to be shot in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. We were a little naive. We thought it was going to be like this big production and we could have locations in New Orleans and blah, blah, blah. blah. Little <laughs> did we know that it was going to be a lot simpler than that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it was scheduled for to shoot the week after Katrina. And the week before, a couple weeks before Katrina, we had just hosted our New Orleans Tango Fest right. that we had done for four or five years. We did mm -hmm. them for five years in Reno as a satellite of the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. So we had scheduled a workshop in Tallahassee. We had been traveling, driving to Tallahassee mm -hmm. quite regularly. We used to like to go to start communities and get local teachers going so mm -hmm. that when we left the circus left town they would have a community that they could build on we never we always wanted to empower local teachers to get things going nice. so Tallahassee was one of those communities and mm -hmm. so we were going a couple times a uh, a month mm -hmm. you know driving it was about a six-hour drive from from New Orleans okay so we had scheduled this workshop and we were almost going to cancel it because of the video coming up to mm -hmm. do you know thinking we needed to but I said, no, no, let's just go. So the Friday before Katrina, mm -hmm. that weekend, we're looking at the weather mm -hmm. report and said, well, this hurricane is already in the Gulf and it's headed for the Yucatan Peninsula. It's mm -hmm. headed to Mexico. And okay, so it had already done its damage in Florida and we decided, okay, we're going to go. So we didn't board up. We didn't do anything. Uh. We just packed a pair of tango shoes and a couple things and you know, we, we knew we were going to probably come back Sunday night, make it a really quick turnaround. So in those days, we didn't have a cell phone. Right. And we also did not listen to the radio when we traveled. Alberto had a tremendous CD collection, and I played DJ and <laughs> would play CDs for the trip. And this is how I also learned to identify music you know, uh, orchestras, singers, mm -hmm. you know, eras. I mean, and, and Alberto was so proud of me because I was getting better at, than mm -hmm. he was, although that was not true. He was the master. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and we loved that little bubble of the five or six hours in the car. He yeah. loved to drive, that we could talk and listen to music. So we're just in our happy little bubble going to Tallahassee, not knowing that all hell had broken loose. Oh, wow. So we get to Tallahassee and our house hosts come running out to the driveway 
And they said, well, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what's going on? And they looked so horribly sad and Mm -hmm. upset. And we thought maybe someone was hurt or someone had died or we didn't know what to expect. We said, no, or what's going on? And they brought us in the house and they had this big TV like in in this sun porch Mm -hmm. where we came in the door and they said, look, and we're looking at the TV and the newscasters were going crazy and this big blob of uh, Hurricane Katrina was dead on, yeah, Category yeah. 5 hurricane for New Orleans. And I, and I swear to God, my knees buckled. I was like, oh, my goodness. Mm. So there we were and watched it from Tallahassee. And again, Alberto, being internet savvy, mm-hmm. started emailing and putting out like an SOS to people. Please check in and let us know where you are and mm-hmm. if you're okay. Wow. And I still keep those emails. Yeah. Anyway, we kept we taught the workshop, and those people we stayed with them for six weeks. Mm. Somebody in New Orleans in our group, one of our students who's a doctor, he was here. He was one of the first responders, and he was in a carpool that went by our house a couple weeks after Katrina, and emailed us and said, "Your house is still standing." Oh. And then a couple of our students who wrote it out came to our house, you know, we FedEx them the key and they um, cleaned out our refrigerator for us and, you know, taped up a broken window and, Mm -hmm. you know, said our house was still standing. And it was kind of bizarre for the first couple of weeks, not knowing if we were, had anything to go back to. But where Alberto's Tango archive was, was on the second floor in in a part of the house they call a camelback. We live in a shotgun house Mm -hmm. and the camelback was, Alberto's office, so we were hoping that if the water did come to our house, that his stuff, his his archive would be intact, mm-hmm. and that was really all we cared about. Okay. Wow. <laughs> what, an, um, what an adventure, Valerie. That's, yeah, that's really we crazy. Yeah, we came home four months to the day after Katrina. We traveled. People kept giving us workshops mm. to teach. They were so gracious to us. Wow. So we kept traveling to teach. We ended up in Santa Barbara. We saw my family. Then our last six weeks, we went to Buenos Aires because, like everyone else, we thought we might have to relocate. Mm -hmm. And there was a family apartment from Alberto's family that had come down to him, and he wanted me to go check out the apartment to see if it was something that was acceptable for me to live in. Mm -hmm. But when the teachers there that we knew were so gracious to us, they gave us their classes. And, I mean, it was so sweet that you know, the peso was like just not happening and the money mm-hmm. was so little, it was so touching to us that we had, we gave the money that we made to the assistants. Mm. The, you know, wow. the, all the teachers in Argentina have assistants, you mm-hmm. know. So the apartment was not acceptable and Alberto never wanted to move back to Buenos Aires. Mm. He left, you know, in the 70s during the dirty wars and he never trusted the government to be stable again. Mm-hmm. And, he had a, a police experience when he went back in the 80s that was oh, a little frightening. Yeah. And he just, we, and I don't think, you know, um, once his parents passed on, that he really, if it hadn't been for the tango, he would have gone back to Buenos Aires. The mm. tango brought him back there. Mm. And m- me wanting to go to Buenos Aires brought him back there. And we took our first trip in 1997 mm-hmm. together. Nice. And, um, so that that's the Katrina story. Yeah. Sorry, it's so long. No, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. I guess I remember that had a huge impact. But um, well, when we came back, you know, again the Tango community had been halved, 
and mm. a lot of people had moved to Baton Rouge or Houston. Mm. A lot of people didn't come back, so trying to rebuild again was tricky because we did try to get start our milongas up again in our classes, but really no one's heart was in it. People would come to the milongas and we'd all just sit around telling war stories. Yeah. You wow. know, I mean, nobody really was much in the dancing, mm-hmm. dancing mood. It, it took a long time to um, get our momentum as a community back. Right, right. Wow. Katrina, yeah, just uh, the extent of the devastation. I think it's, you know, once it left the news cycle, a lot of people weren't really talking about it anymore, but it did have this very long-lasting impact. Oh, I'm telling you, five for five years or more after Katrina, I mean, what do they call it, post-traumatic stress stress disorder? Post-traumatic distress. I mean, we all had it. We all ate too much. We all drank too much. Mm -hmm. And... And it was, you know, I mean, it took a long time to feel stable. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say at least 10 years after Katrina that finally people stopped talking mm-hmm. about after Katrina, before Katrina. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess I remember uh, 2014 when the Tango Festival took place. That was my first trip out to, uh, to New Orleans. I think that might have been the first time I met you. And it was such a wonderful community. I think that it was, yeah, there was this sense of renewal that everybody was, was talking definitely, about. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was hard because also after Katrina, you know, Alberto's health started to decline. Mm. And we changed our viewpoint. We mm-hmm. felt that we wanted to concentrate on the two of us. Uh, we had given a lot to the community. We had lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We had, you know, given, you know, just done a lot. And it became more important to us to dance with one another and enjoy time. We still taught and we gave workshops, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a different focus. Mm-hmm. And Alberto and I went to Calgary, Canada, to teach a workshop. And he had a heart attack mm-hmm. in the airport when we landed just before we got to customs. Oh, goodness. And that was another turning point. He survived it, but mm-hmm. we were a few weeks in Canada, and it was, like, not a great experience. Mm. And so when we came back to New Orleans, of course, he had to recover, mm-hmm. but he never was afraid, and mm-hmm. he never, ever gave up. And he started, you know, slowly to come back, I mean... To, to dance again and we mm-hmm. would start to go out and to teach again. He was like so remarkable. Yeah. He never had like a down attitude. I was frightened. <laughs> I was like always waiting for the other shoe to drop because mm-hmm. Alberto had heart disease and yeah. it doesn't get cured. Right. And yeah, we made some lifestyle changes. And But one of the things that it took him a year to come to grips with we couldn't travel anymore to teach. Mm. The plane ride and the whole stressful situation, it just was not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't good for him. Alberto never could handle stress well. He internalized it, and I really felt that that was mm. an issue with the heart disease. Yeah. Plus, uh, you know, when he grew up in a time where smoking and red meat and red wine, you know, that was the diet. Nobody, nobody yeah. knew those things were bad. I mean, mm-hmm. the damage was done. By the time he was 60, it was already happening. By the mm. time we got to Calgary, you know, it was a few years down the road. And, you know, he, he lasted four years after Calgary. But we never stopped dancing. We never stopped teaching. But we did stop traveling to nah. teach. But we also didn't have the wherewithal 
to do the big events, the big tango events mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we had done before festivals and these bringing orchestras and these grand milongas. And, mm-hmm. and so I was very happy in 2014 when the festival was happening. Yeah. And Lorena and Myrna kind of stepped up and fulfilled the need. Mm-hmm. And it was great. It made, you know, because one of the joys for me is seeing a dance floor full of dancers as yeah. a hostess. As, as a producer of events, mm-hmm. that's my joy of mm-hmm. seeing people dance. So to see a couple hundred people come to New Orleans to this festival and the dance floor full and everyone enjoying themselves, it was a rebirth and it mm-hmm. really was quite wonderful. Yeah, yeah. but today you are still pretty active uh, in the, uh, the dance scene over there in New Orleans. I remember every time I'm down there, I... I making an effort to try to get a dance with you. Um, yeah, so when it comes to working with beginners, I mean, you've had so much experience traveling, meeting so many different students, and you had a very interesting start to your own tango journey. Um, so what are some of the first things that you like to show a beginner who's interested in dancing? Well, Alberto and I both learned as adults. Mm-hmm. You know, um, everyone thinks because he was from Buenos Aires that he learned as a, as a kid. No, mm-hmm. he learned when he was pushing 50. He learned in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. you know, like everybody else. So as adult learners, you know, we had a sensitivity and an understanding for what it's like, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to have teach adults. I mean, we've taught children as well, and, and it's a far different thing because kids are so open and they absorb things so much quicker and they don't have all the hang-ups that right. adults have, you yeah. know. You know, so teaching beginners, I like to empower I like to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. I don't like to move on with material until I see that people own it and are comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I'm tough. Mm-hmm. I feel like my time is valuable and your time is valuable. Don't come to class if you're not going to work. Yeah. You know, I'm funny. I try to keep it funny. Alberto and I both had great senses of humor, <laughs> sometimes appropriate, sometimes inappropriate. <laughs> We were known as tough teachers. Mm-hmm. Some people just don't like that because they feel, you know, adult learners feel, well, I'm just doing it for fun, or, right. you know, and mm-hmm. they just want a pat on the head and be told that everything's great. Mm-hmm. Well, we weren't those kind of teachers. We were invested in empowering someone to learn to dance. Mm. And so I don't, I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, definitely. I'd love to hear everyone's perspective on that. And we were never step collectors. Mm-hmm. And we also changed the language of how Argentine tango was taught. We went back to the roots of it. Okay. Lee and Paolo was never used back mm-hmm. in the day. They talked about La Marca, mm-hmm. the man having to learn to master La Marca mm-hmm. and the woman responding to La Marca. Mm-hmm. And so lead and follow and the eight count basic and mm-hmm patterns that was never our thing Mm. because we also suffered going through that on the learning curve and it didn't work and you know we were very good mimics and could imitate just about any teacher or coach that showed us you know what what they were doing and that was how it was taught here's the step here it is watch it okay do it oh you can't do it here i'll do it again watch it do it (laughs) there was like no rhyme or reason, and Alberto being an engineer says there's got to be a manual somewhere. Yeah. This can't be like the way that you learn because it was impossible, and it just was frustrating. 
And, you know, then you'd go to Buenos Aires and you'd see these milongueros that were like overweight and, mm-hmm. and older and they were like sublime dancers and, right. and they embraced and the musicality and it was like so magical. How do they do that? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was crazy. So we um, met a young man and his mom mm-hmm. at Stanford and that was Pablo Pugliese with mm-hmm. Esther Pugliese. And Alberto was translating. Pablo was, I think, 16 or 17 then. Mm-hmm. And he was a marvel. And Alberto would turn to me and he'd say, did you hear what that kid just said? Did you hear what he said? Because Pablo had this method mm-hmm. that, for the first time, was based on something, mm-hmm. which was the hero, the Ekam hero, yeah. basically. So Alberto said to Esther, where did Pablo learn this? You know, and what this this was like the, the opening of our minds, you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there was like a glimmer of something that was like so profound. And she says, Esther, well, you know, Pablo learned from my husband, his father, Mingo. And we were like, Mingo? And he, yeah, well, why isn't Mingo here with you teaching? Well, because Mingo has health issues and he can't travel. Mm. Oh. So we promoted Pablo's workshops and, and Esther and Pablo and, and, and Pablo's sister Marisa stayed in our house in California, and we had a great time and cramming into our little BMW, driving to Sacramento, driving wherever, L.A. Nice. You know, we just were, like, got to know them very well. Mm-hmm. So we took another mortgage out on the, on the house mm-hmm. and decided to go to Buenos Aires to meet Mingo. Mm. And we spent a couple months taking private lessons with Mingo every day, and that was the turning point in our methodology of teaching. We understood it, Mm-hmm. We couldn't execute it. It took us about a good year or two to get it under our belt. But that changed our way of teaching, not being step collectors. You mm-hmm. know, it was a whole different way of seeing the tango, mm-hmm. of a structure that was there, a definite structure. It wasn't like everybody says, oh, well, it's just improvisation. Well, yeah, you improvise, but you have to improvise from something, not nothing, just throwing it up against a wall and hoping for the best. Yeah. And it wasn't about imitation. Mm -hmm. This structure allowed you to become the dancer that you were. Mm -hmm. So that was the whole turning point. And then we were always very much concentrated on the embrace, on the music. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say it takes three to tango. Mm -hmm. You know, two people and the music. The music. Mm -hmm. And we were definitely almost to the point of being militant of it takes tango music. Mm. Uh, you don't go to a salsa dance and you say, oh, let me put on a tango so I can practice my salsa moves. <laughs> so, you know, you can go to me longer. Well, let me put on blues or let me put on swing or let me put on pop goes the weasel so we can practice our tango moves. Mm-hmm. No. If you don't want to dance to tango music, then go dance something else. Mm-hmm. That was our big pet peeve. So that mm-hmm. was, you know, we were controversial in that we mm-hmm. changed the language of how tango was taught, taught a structure, said you had to dance to tango music. Mm-hmm. We also believed in that the culture of, of Buenos Aires was important in mm-hmm. learning to dance tango, that otherwise it was just another empty dance. Mm-hmm. We, we felt that the culture was very important, mm-hmm. the codes of the Nilongas in Buenos Aires. Yes, we live in America. Yes, mm-hmm. this is not Buenos Aires. Yes, it's a little different. But but if you want to dance Argentine tango, keep Argentina in 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 it. Mm-hmm. You know, as Americans started to learn it mm-hmm. and teach, 
it was like they wanted to eliminate it. Well, we're Americans, you know, we'll do it our way. Yeah. We know what we want for 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 Americans. And, <laughs> you know, we don't we don't we don't need to learn to even just pronounce Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so Alberto and I had this reputation as being controversial for all of those things. Mm-hmm. Some people loved us. Some people did not. Mm-hmm. To this day, some people love me. Some people do yeah. not. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's kind of the reaction you want. The worst thing is someone just kind of shaking their, you know, shrugging, saying, eh, so you, you might as well make a big impact, right? Well, that we did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Good. So what are some things over the years, Valerie, that you've learned from your own students? Oh, my goodness. I learned humility. Mm-hmm. When I see someone going to the learning process and they trust me to take them on that journey, I'm so humbled and grateful And my students have made me a better dancer. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have to teach something to someone, it it ups your skill level. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've gotten a lot of affection and appreciation from my students over the years. Both Alberto and I did. Mm -hmm. And I never had children, so I always would say the thousands of people we've taught all over the world Mm -hmm. are my my children. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. Okay, Valerie, this has been a lot of fun. So um, what future projects are you working on? Well, I'm at a crossroads right now. Mm-hmm. Alberto passed away almost five years ago. It'll be five years in February. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'll be honest, it's been tough going alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I've watched other Milongueros in Buenos Aires pass away and their wives or their partners usually just vanish. They drop out of the scene. They don't go dancing. Maybe they go to a milonga now and then. Sometimes they try to teach alone or take up another partner. And and I have had a hard time, but what I believe in is legacy. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I have a legacy that was mine with Alberto and now mine on my own. So legacy is what I'm trying to to keep going, mm-hmm. but it's really difficult on my own, mm-hmm. and I find that I don't know if I want to continue teaching anymore as much as I love it, mm-hmm. because right now, like a lot of cities, we have a revolving door of teachers coming through. Mm-hmm. Somebody's always bringing a teacher. We have new local teachers cropping up a mm-hmm. lot, so it gets harder and harder to attract people to a class, to come mm-hmm. to a class. Yeah. And I get a lot of lip service. Oh, we think you're great, and you're so great, and you're so great. Well, do people show up to class? Mm-hmm. No. My feeling has always been, as it was with Alberto, I don't care if one person shows up, two people show up, mm-hmm. I'll give the class. Yeah. But after a while, it gets tiring. And I'm telling you that I don't have the same enjoyment going to the Milongas. I often get very nostalgic mm-hmm. and a little sad. Not yeah. be being without Alberto, mm-hmm. I tried to put on a happy face. I'm very grateful to the people who dance with me and are kind to me and give mm-hmm. me a big hello when I come in. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I've distanced myself over the last couple of years a bit because I'm not enjoying it as much mm-hmm. as I did. Mm-hmm. So again, tango comes to you at a crossroads in mm-hmm. your life. Yeah. So I'm at a crossroads. I'm 70. Mm-hmm. So I'm not quite sure where I want to go with it, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe I'll just put it out there. And, you know, being ill these last three weeks mm-hmm. and not teaching, you get out of the habit of it. Yeah. 
you know, because it's, it's work. It's work mm-hmm. to get, get yourself up, get yourself to the studio, you know, and I, I just feel like, you know, sometimes the people have spoken. If you put it out there and the people don't want it, mm-hmm. then what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and there's, and as I say, there's a lot going on here. We've right at this point, we've probably got four or five local teachers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, every month, two or three traveling teachers are right. coming through, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, it's so funny because the core group is not really growing, mm. you know, it's still the same amount of people because people come and go mm-hmm. and the quality of dancing is not growing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It, I, I don't know what I'm going to do right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And we'll see. Stay tuned. But I am hosting Emilonga once a month. I said okay. I would not host anymore. And I host Emilonga in the French Quarter nice. at this very cute place called the Starlight Lounge on okay. the last Sunday of the month. And mm-hmm. the place is adorable. And um, I play Alberto's mixes. He left mm. me, you know, probably, you know, 30, 40 CDs all mixed with Cortinas. All I have to do is push the button, and everybody loves his music. Mm. So the Milonga is quite adorable. So I'm going to continue with the Milonga Great. because I do enjoy doing that. Nice. Hosting, hosting is something that I've always enjoyed. That's nice. Good. Okay, so where can we find out about this Milonga online? No, I don't have. I don't keep up with the Planet Tango website. Okay. You know, Alberto wrote in code. I don't know how to get in my website on our Planet Tango website and update. It hasn't been updated in five years. Uh, okay. Say. But you can always find me on Facebook. I always announce on the New Orleans Argentine Tango Group. Okay. And you can always find me, Valerie Hart, on Facebook. I always announce my tango things on my own page. Okay. So that's the best place to find me. Okay. All right. And, um, you know, I still do private, so if somebody wants a private lesson, just send me a private message on Facebook, and I'll set it up. Yeah. All right. Well, Valerie, thank you so much for your time. I've talked for nearly an hour, and I really appreciate you sharing your oh, thoughts and your stories. You're going to have a lot of editing to do. No, no, that's okay. I'm going to keep most of it, because it's, it's really interesting stuff. Well, Joe, you know, I appreciate so much that you're interested in that you invited me, because I say legacy. Mm-hmm. And I feel it's the legacy that Alberto and I have to mm-hmm. offer to the Tango world. And I hope one day, long after we're gone, somebody finds these two old farts on YouTube and says, <laughs> wow, what is that? And I'd like mm-hmm. to have an interest and see what that's all about. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, our book is still out there, Got a Tango. Yep. You can find it on Amazon. It's a very good, good book for those who are learning tango or mm-hmm. those who want to teach tango. The yeah. structure is there. Great. Great. And I'll have links to the, the book on Amazon and also to uh, your Facebook on my show notes so people will be able to find you and learn more about you. Fantastic. And Joe, I appreciate very much the work that you're doing for the tango. I applaud you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. And yeah, you're definitely on my list of people to, to interview. I'm really glad I finally got a chance to talk to you and I hope you feel better soon. Thank you, sweetheart. Yeah. Take care. Abrazos. Okay, another adventurous life story involving tango. Whether it was a number of personal tragedies, moments of self-doubt, and even Hurricane Katrina, Valerie pulled through and took tango with her every step of the way. And what stuck out to me was that there were several occasions where Valerie was flat out ready to give up tango, but she stuck with it. And each time she did, she came across more adventures and opportunities. 
Now, most of us, especially if we're relatively new to tango, will also struggle. Or maybe you're struggling right now. Sticking with this dance is worth it in the end. Now, I'm not suggesting that you'll end up with a life full of exciting travel or that you'll become a full-time teacher. You know, Maybe you will, maybe not, I don't know. But the point is, if you're at the height of your frustration or in a tough place with this dance, and through it all, if tango still intrigues you, then it's worth continuing. It's not too late. Another thing that Valerie mentioned was that she and her husband, Alberto, had very clear ideas on how they were going to teach tango. They had very clear ideas on what tango is. Now, some folks agreed, some didn't. There are many ways to approach this dance, many ways of learning. Uh, there will be lively discussions and even debates. And when it comes to developing your own dancing, it's important to take a stand on your style of tango. Don't try to please everyone. The path you choose will lead to many good things. So thank you again, Valerie, for taking the time to tell your story and to share your thoughts. Much appreciated. And thanks to all you listeners for tuning in. I really can't thank you enough for your support. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a quick moment to visit iTunes, SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting platform you're using. Subscribe if you haven't already and leave a five-star rating. That helps a lot. And if you'd like to get in touch for any reason, feel free to send me an email at wisconsintango at gmail.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, at gmail.com. Okay, that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>